in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I'd like to direct your attention here to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 16. While you're turning there, it's already been mentioned, but I want to mention it again. Next Sunday, Brother Kerry Jones. How many of you remember Brother Kerry Jones? He was just here about a month ago. Brother Kerry Jones will be coming back, and we will be going Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday with Brother Kerry Jones. He'll be here with his family. We're looking forward to having a tremendous time with him. So be inviting people out. Everybody is looking for this. Everybody is looking for this. I've had numerous Bible studies through the years where people have looked at me during the course of a Bible study and say, you know, pastor, and they were trying to be respectful, but they would say, you know, pastor, I just, I just don't believe like you do. I said, I appreciate that. It's not that you don't believe like I do. You don't understand this. Because when you understand this and your eyes are open, come on somebody, there is no other gospel, there is no other truth. It is wonderful. It's wonderful. So we're looking forward to next weekend with Brother Jones. Famous passage of scripture here, 1 Samuel chapter number 16, starting in verse number one. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. We're not going to read this entire chapter, but we do need to go to verse number six. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance. You know, that's what most people do. They look at the outward. They look at the physicality. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. What a verse of scripture is found right there. Verse number eight. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. That's a description of his countenance, his complexion. And with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. How God chooses a king. How God chooses a king. We praise the Lord a lot here today. But I wonder if we could just lay our Bibles down and we could pray together. Let's lift our voice. Let's pray. Let's pray that the Word of God would make entrance. 
the light and the illumination of the Word of God would penetrate into every life, into every heart. Father, we stand in awe of your presence and your glory here today. So thankful for all of the benefits you lotus us, lotus us daily with your benefits. But today, oh God, we pray that the Word of the Lord would find entrance into every life, every life, every heart, every situation, every circumstance that is represented in this room today. We won't fail to give you the praise and the glory and the honor, Jesus. We love you. We magnify you. We give you great glory. Let's clap our hands and praise him one more time together in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. The ability to choose and the power of choice is a human faculty that reveals and proves that we are made in the image of God. There are many anthropomorphic illustrations of God, and what that simply means is, is that God uses a particular physical feature so that it helps us to understand God in his ways. For example, the eye of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, God's ear, so on and so forth. Human choice, decision-making, free will, and reason are a constant basis for scientific study and inquisition. Biologically, it is a choice-making that reveals that human beings are far superior above all others in the animal kingdom. Although the animal kingdom is designed to function with predilection and instinct, they do not have free will and free choice like you and I. Ongoing studies into this magnificent human ability have discovered underlying features that reveal how human beings choose and why they choose what they do. The most important characteristic component that influences choice and decision-making is preference and bias. When we hear that word bias in the 21st century, we automatically go to some of the biases that our media-driven world has sought to influence, but it doesn't really mean that the same way. When you talk about preference, you are talking about an inclination towards one option over another, often based upon personal taste and judgment. And this is, listen, when you begin to do an internet search on the power of choice, you will see how many scientific studies are done at the university. They're still trying to figure out why we do what we do and why we choose to do the things that we do. It's an amazing study, but all it does is magnify the word of God and definitely reinforces the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is a tendency to make decisions or to take actions in an illogical way caused by values, memory, socialization, and other personal attributes. Human choice utilizes both preference and bias to arrive at a decision and a choice. And it's something that continues to be patterned and developed from the cradle to the grave. God also has preferences and biases. God also has preferences and biases. And as we study the word of God, we gain insight into this when we study his word. In a recent morning devotion that I did just several days ago, I talked about the evidences that nature reveals to us. The Bible says, very famous passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, 
where it says that doth not nature itself teach you that a man should have short hair. That is in contrast that the Bible states that a woman's hair is given to her for a covering. Literally, that word covering in the original literally means a veil. And so to all the modern thinkers and all of the modernistic women thinkers of our day and age, they never seem to consider that all of their components, the physicality and, and all of their attributes as a person were given to them by God. And a woman's hair was given to her to be a natural veil. But as I've already stated, in contrast to that, a man is to have short hair. And according to the word of God, it says that doth not nature teach you. That's very important verbiage. What really does nature teach us? Nature is God's will expressed through creation. Somebody, um, if you're asking the university professors and you're asking the scientific community in our world, they're going to get you all messed up. You're way better off to look into the Word of God where it says, in the beginning was the Word. I don't need to go to university to figure out where this thing came from. But creation teaches us something about God's choices. It teaches us the incommunicable attributes of God, and it teaches us some of the characteristics of God expressed. For example, the very first thing it does, according to Romans chapter 1, is it reveals God's eternal power and Godhead. It reveals his omnipotence. Only God could speak the worlds into existence. Only God could, could create the entire galaxies and all of the stars on the fourth day of creation. Only God could set the, the sun in its place and set the moon in its place. Only God could create animal life. Only God could, come on, somebody help me out here today. I know it's cold and we're, 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 we're still, we're <laughs> but I'm telling you that when you look at nature, you are looking at God's choices. It first reveals God's omnipotence. It also reveals God's omniscience. God is all-knowing. That is an understatement. God is a genius. It also reveals God's omnipresent, God's immensity. It also reveals that God is omnisapient. He is all wise. Those are, those are his incommunicable attributes, which means they have no corresponding aspect within you and I. But it also reveals that God is a God of order. God is not a God of confusion. He is not a God of disorder. He is a God of order. He is a God of complexity. He is a God of symmetry and balance. He is a God of beauty. All of these things and much, much more. We could go on all day on this. All of this ultimately reveals God's choices in creation. Let's clap our hands and give God great praise. In contrast, the human race is so conditioned according to social pressures and social influence, social governance. People in our world want the shiniest, the brightest, the best, the newest, the fastest, the most prestigious, the flashiest, the most popular, and the list goes on. But that is in stunning contrast to how God chooses. This text that I read in your hearing here this morning is one of the most famous in the Bible. The nation of Israel is now, for several years, has been in the promised land. And one of the very first things that they did upon entering into the promised land was that they wanted a form of human government that would, that would give them some type of identifiable thing with neighboring nations. You have to understand 
that God never intended for the nation of Israel to have a human king. They were supposed to be a theocracy, not a democracy. And a theocracy is when God leads, and he has a prophet that represents him to the people, and he has a priest that represents the people to God. But the people, once they got elevated from the ghetto folks from Goshen, the people that were recycled in the wilderness have now come into cities that they didn't build. They're now living in homes that they didn't construct. They're living with fields they didn't domesticate, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And instead of accepting God's form of government, even then they said, no, we want to be like other nations. And so they said, give us a king. And it greatly displeased God. It greatly displeased God that they asked for a king, but he said, I will, I will give them a king. And the first king was a total disaster. And it represented man's choice. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a moment. But what we're looking at here in 1 Samuel in 16 is after God has already rejected Saul because Saul rejected God. That now God is going to have his choice. In fact, um, I hope you got this scripture ready for me there, Brother Malachi. Look at 1 Samuel 9 and 2. These are the attributes of Saul. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and a goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier. If some of you from down south that use the word goodlier, there it is. You're in the Bible. Goodlier. Go to school and start saying that word and see what the teacher does. A goodlier person than he, look at this. These, this is why, this is very representative. I'm going somewhere with this. He, from his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. He was large, he was tall, he was brawn, he was wide. He was a choice of might and strength. But he was a representation of the people's choice because the people were caught up in the physical, not the supernatural. They were caught up in the outward, the inward. They were caught up in that which can be seen, not that which cannot be seen. And so Saul represented just more than just the people's choice. He represented somebody that was large, somebody big, somebody broad. He was a representation of the ideals of the people that now were in this wonderful place and we have all these wonderful commodities and conveniences and all these things that are now. He was beautiful to look upon. But Saul became a total disaster because in the form of his leadership, he came to the place that there was a deterioration when he began to fear the people more than he feared God. And a leader, um, if, if he's going to be a godly leader, he cannot be the type of a leader that can be won over to the people in the sight of the word of God. I'm already preaching here, here this morning because this is a very important point and it's very real in our world today. Saul ultimately capitulated to the voice of the people, which is why Samuel showed up and grabbed a sword and began to hack Agag. There was an Amalekite. He hacked him in pieces right in front of the king because he was doing the king's job for him that you were to fully and completely and entirely exterminate the enemy of God's people. I hope you'll, the reason why I'm saying this is it's kind of a segue to the next statement that I want to make. When you hear the pastor kind of bearing down on things, and, and our, our apostolic people are different than, than any other group of people in the world, but people, denominational people and other belief systems, they, when, if a man's not allowed to raise his voice and a man's not allowed to have any type of excitement, well, I want to tell you what your pastor does. If I feel like there's an enemy that's prowling around here that will ultimately take somebody out of here, I'm pulling my sword out of here and I'm going to hack him in pieces in front of God and his people. Somebody needs to clap your hands right now and thank God. You ain't got some kind of a showboat as a pastor. 
so God ultimately rejected Saul. He rejected the people's choice. Nothing wrong with being tall, dark, and handsome. When you look at me, I just got the leftovers. I'm just doing the best I can. My wife fell in love with me, and that's all I need. Hallelujah. You're probably wondering how that happened. Sometimes I wonder the same thing, but here I am, and here we go. Nothing wrong with being tall, nothing wrong with stature, nothing wrong with big. The representation, the ideal through physique of the ideals and the aspirations of a nation, but did not love God. And was ultimately, when you get an opportunity to kill your, kill your enemy, and I'm not talking about people. Don't be bringing your AR-15s to this church. You leave them outside and you're... No, when, when, it's, when God gives you the opportunity to put the devil in his place, I don't care how much inconvenient, do not miss your opportunity to take care of it. God's gonna let that same situation cycle around. It might take days, weeks, months, and years just to see how bad you wanna take that thing out and prove to God and all of his holy angels, I made a messed up yesterday, but I got today right, and devil, you can't have tomorrow. I might have messed up yesterday, but you can't have today. Somebody clap your hands. Somebody give God the praise. God delights in watching his people put the past to rest. All right. So Saul is ultimately rejected of God, and that brings us to our text here today. Samuel is heading over to Bethlehem to a well-known rancher and farmer by the name of Jesse. Jesse is, and I really did some study on this, uh, not that I'm trying to impress anybody. I study for every service, but this was different today. This was different, and you're going you're gonna to find out why here before too long. Jesse was different. He was considered, even among Jewish lore, to be of such unique character, head and shoulders in a different sense, according to character and integrity, that there was not many like him ever in the history of the nation of Israel. Added to that, that he was the grandson of Boaz and Ruth. I don't have time. There's so many rabbit trails in this today, and I'm going to do my best just to get you where we need to go because there's a lot of different places and a lot of different things that we could explore here today. But Boaz and Ruth is an extremely um, famous story. She was a Moabitess, and the child from that union was Obed, O-B-E-D. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And so Samuel didn't know all that. I don't, I don't think he connected all that genealogy. He was just following the instruction of the Lord. He filled his horn up with anointing oil and headed to Bethlehem. When he got there, and this is where this famous story begins to engage us, there is an announcement, there's a feast that's taking place, but it's no ordinary feast because we are looking for the commemoration and the anointing of a new king. And so there is a buzz in the community, and, and some of these households, um, like Jesse's um, here in the Bible, was not just, okay, these are my sons and my daughters, you know, uh, seven sons and two daughters. No, they had servants, and there was people that worked in the stable, and there oftentimes can be like it was with Abraham. He had an, an incredible entourage that traveled him because he was so blessed of God. And so it was a buzz. The community was a buzz. And, and here comes the prophet. 
and everybody feared the prophet. And don't forget, Samuel, many consider Samuel to be the greatest um, of all the prophets, even, even greater than uh, Elijah and Elisha. I know it's up for debate and it's just uh, theological opinion. However, it was Samuel that was raised up from a barren womb that, that got in that, in that rare place of history where he was being used of God to get this people that continued to fall over here in this well-worn path of idolatry. It just seemed like they, they couldn't get it out of their craw and couldn't get it out of their back pocket. And so Samuel was used, and he, he witnessed all this, and he witnessed an incredible, incredible kaleidoscope of Jewish history. And so Samuel, he's got several attendants with him. When he walked in a community, ladies and gentlemen, everybody stopped. The prophet's here. In fact, somebody got the nerve to ask him, is it peaceable? They were, they were nervous. They were nervous when the prophet came in. And he said, it's peaceable. Whew. So the party's over at Jesse's place. And so everybody gathered. And behind the scene, Jesse was preparing his sons. Eliab, what are you doing? Keep your hands to yourself. Go comb your hair. The prophet's here. We got some business we're taking care of. What? Get, get rid of that. Go back in there and put your best shirt on. The prophet's here. You over there, knock that off. You guys get in line. When the prophet comes in here, we want to see this thing right. I want him to see that it's clean. I want him to see that you're trying to fake everybody out by standing there and behaving. But here comes Samuel, and he's just kind of leaning on his staff. He says, all right, Jesse, you know what we're here to do. I want to take a look at these boys. And Eliab was the first one to come out. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this was a show. Eliab didn't come out. Mom, where's the right guard? <laughs> no, he came out. He came out with a well-trained, well-rehearsed gait with his best look of a furrowed brow and a serious look on his countenance as he walked before Samuel. And he was, he was the biggest one. He, was, he was, had the physique, but he was too close to Saul in terms of both physical stature and, and inward uh, integrity or the lack thereof because it is in that verse that the Spirit of God speaks to the prophet and says man looks at the outward that God looks in the inward. I want to just put this entire, and I'm not going to preach long today unless you're not involved with me and then I'll preach twice as long as I intended to do. So I'm already recommending that you get on board with me because none of us want to be here all afternoon. So there we go. But I want to stop here long enough to say your inward life matters. Your heart matters. Your imaginations matter. You can't be putting on a good show here like Eliab and strutting around and looking good and you got your Sunday best on. But in secret, God knows and the devil knows. Thank God for the Holy Ghost that can get down there on the inside and the Word of God that can get down there on the inside and it can make you clean. It can make you whole. It can make you right. It can give you the victory. It can put you on a rock to stay. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Eliab struts his stuff, and he thinks, surely it's me. And every one of these boys probably had, um, had a little bit of arrogance and, and an air of presumption about him. And Sammy would say, no, it's not you. Go sit down. Then the second one would come out. And he would have a little different walk. I don't know, maybe he did a whirly bird. Listen, I'm going to do whirly birds when I get to heaven. Is that okay? But see, I'm serving notice on the religious world. I know we're on live stream. Would you want your pastor to stand here like this? Pastor, worship. No, I'm on live stream. Honey, I could care less who's watching. Jesus is here. He gave me the shout. 
He gave me the dance. He gave. I ain't shutting this down for a visitor. I ain't shutting this down for the camera. Come on, somebody, clap your hand. Give God the praise. God is in the house. Abinadab stretches stuff. No, not him. Then it's Shammah. Shammah tries a different tact, Brother Herbert. He's actually wearing a robe. Every, all these guys look different. They're all doing their very best to impress the prophet. Shammah comes out with his robe. It's clean. He's tried to rehearse with some walk and gait of an aristocrat, perhaps, or the upper crust of society, hoping to impress. Samuel said, no, go sit down. All of his boys paraded in front of the prophet. Stick with me. You're going to hear something you ain't never heard before. I never heard this before. Jesse thought these are the only ones that he'd be interested in. They're the best ones we got. Jesse said, Samuel, that, that's it. You don't have anybody else? No. We got, we got one more, but he's in the back 40. Well, get him up here. In fact, we're not sitting down. We're not going to drink tea. We're not doing anything until he gets here. I'm going to stand right here, leaning on my staff. Go get him. We'll all just stand right here. It was probably a nervous moment. Got quiet. The boys sitting over there, I don't know if it was Eliab or Shammah said, I know, I know my little brother ain't got a chance. Surely it's not going to be him. Ruddy, kind of a reddish glow to his face, red hair. A little smaller than the big stature of Eliab. As soon as he comes into view, God says, get the oil ready. That's him. Let's just take a break and give God the praise right now. Nowhere in the entirety is David's mother ever mentioned. We know who his father is. Abraham's wives, and after Sarah died, he had other wives. They were all mentioned. The Bible has no problem identifying with women that were wives and mothers. The Bible, they're not in the genealogies. The genealogies are father to son, but the Bible doesn't appear to have any type of preference when it reveals womanhood in the Bible. But not one place is David's mother mentioned in Holy Writ, although she is referred to. I want to go to uh, Brother Malachi. We're going to go to Psalm 69. So here's David coming from a place where none of his other sons wanted to work. It was a place that was frequented by predators. Why in the world would you put your kids in a place where there were lions and bears, unless you just really didn't care what happened to your kids. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going somewhere with this. It's going to be good. It's, it, this is going to be good. I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been waiting to get this out today. I've been waiting 
to get this out there before this, this, this congregation here today. What parent in their right mind would place their children in a place that was frequented by lions and bears? Send Eliab, the big one. Send, send the one with the big chest, Shammah. They can throw a javelin 50 yards. Throw, throw some of the other ones. Get some of the other ones. David was hated and despised by his brethren. Let's go to Psalm 69, verse number three. You can see it up on the screen here. I am weary of my crying. Listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. Psalm 69 is unlike any other psalm among all the psalms, and it is only second. It is second of all the psalms that makes references to the Messiah. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. Verse number four. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, be mine enemies wrongfully or mighty, then I restored that which I took not away. Verse number eight, watch this. I am become a stranger. Stop. The word stranger is also used as illegitimate and bastard. Make a little note of that. Some of you have your pens out. I'm watching. Some of you are taking notes here today. I want you to write in your Bible to look that up when you get home, that word stranger. It is also used in Hebrew as illegitimate and bastard. I am become a stranger unto my brethren, an alien unto my mother's children. I never saw this. I'm going to tell you what, my eyes have been open. Look at verse 20. Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar. Anybody else in the Bible ever offered vinegar and gall? You know, the, the, the deal with with Joseph and Mary was, is that Joseph is saying, wait, you can't be pregnant. You can't be pregnant. We're not even married yet. Joseph willing to employ some dignity was going to put Mary away privately, not publicly. It was, it was, it was apropos to make a public spectacle of, a, of an adulterous woman. And somebody that was pregnant by seemingly illegitimate means, there was no way that it could be hid. But there was an angel that showed up to Joseph. The story goes, and it's a story that is not found in Holy Writ, but there's a lot that's not found in Holy Writ that you have to immerse yourself in Jewish writings. There is Jewish commentary on the Torah, which is the same as the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible. And then there is Jewish commentary that is extremely colorful um, that addresses some of the other historical books, the prophetical books, the prophets, the law, some of the other books. There is a famous story that Jesse began to question the validity of his grandmother's union being a Moabitess. He had already had um, seven of, of his boys. 
He was getting a little bit more in life, but he began, he came to the age. This is, and this is, this is Jewish commentary that I'm sharing with you right now. That Jesse got to the place where he questioned the validity of the marriage between a Moabitess, which was his grandmother, and Boaz. And I'm saying this just for effect. He couldn't get on a smartphone. He couldn't Google it. He couldn't go down to the library. He couldn't go to the university and spend hours in their vast, the vast library at university. There is no outside information except a few scrolls and those that handled the scrolls and the oral tradition that was passed on. And so it got to the place where he refused because it just happened that way that after the seventh son, he began to review all this. And he said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to completely and entirely put you away. Her name was Nizabeth, was David's mother. That was her name, Nizabeth. She is not mentioned in Scripture. But the story goes that Jesse had come to the place, this went on for quite some time, that he had seemingly put his wife away. Not divorced, but just no contact with her at all. No relations with her at all. And there was a handmaiden that understood this entire scenario. And she also understood that Jesse wanted to have a relationship with her. And it was about to take place, and she reached out to Nizabeth. Remember, Nizabeth is David's mother. And she was conferring with Nizabeth, who was the estranged wife of Jesse, and said, I do not want to do this with Jesse. So I want you to take my place tonight. You remember, okay, I'm glad you're traveling with me because this, this, we're, we're in the weeds right now. You, but, but you remember Jacob on his wedding night. You remember that they swapped out Rachel and put Leah there. You remember that. Are you with me? Okay. Well, this is kind of the same deal. The, the handmaiden got to talk with Nizabeth and said, this is where you need to be in this place at this time, and this is what's supposed to happen. And it did happen. And Nizabeth conceived. But everybody already knew Jesse is having no contact with her because he is questioned, and it's his way of questioning and somehow in some weird way honoring the fact that maybe something was done wrong several generations before him. And so Nizabeth conceived And when it got to her third month, she could no longer hide it. Go to Psalm 51, verse 5. This is David. Behold, I was shaping in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. She let everybody think that she stepped out on her husband when really she didn't. She was the one that ended up really having relations with her husband, and he didn't even know it. He thought it was with the handmaiden, and it was really with her, and so he thought that David was illegitimate, and he was hated. David was hated by his brothers. David was just barely put up with by his father. David was just, just did all the crummy jobs and did stuff nobody else wanted to do. Get out there and protect the sheep from the lions, and get out there and bring them into the corral. There's bears out there. I hope God's with you. If I see you at nighttime, I know, I know something's going on, and, and, and David would continue to honor. What I'm trying to tell you is this. When God chooses a king, God is not looking for a perfect path. God is not looking for spot choreography. God is not looking for the right last name. God is looking for somebody that is in the backwoods that is calling on the name of the Lord and saying, God, I know that you love me even though nobody else loves me. I know that you're with me even though they treat me like dirt. And God said, arise and anoint him for that is the king. Clap your hand to give him praise. 
If I was you, that would give me hope today. God, when he's looking for a king, he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for somebody. Come on, let's clap our hands to give God praise right now. There is another version of the story that says that she absolutely committed adultery, Nisbeth did, and that David absolutely was illegitimate, but that would violate a scripture in the book of Deuteronomy that said that no bastard or illegitimate child will enter into my temple. And now, as Andy Rooney used to say, that's the rest of the story. When God goes looking for a king, he's looking for somebody that instead of partying and just sitting around with the aristocracy of that little village and saying, we're the sons of Jesse, he's out there already watching after the sheep, saying there ain't no bear going to take a sheep. There ain't no lion going to take the sheep. I'm doing this for my father. Even though his father barely put up with him, he was responsible. He had integrity. He had already been humbled in life. That's the problem with a lot of people. They've never been on their face and recognized what humility is. Go ahead and clap your hands and give God the praise. God's looking for a king today. Are we going to sit here in our religious majesty? Are we going to sit here with our garb and our clothing and say, oh, look at us and how good we've been? No. God's saying, I'm looking for somebody that is living for me, even though they are mistreated, even though they are downcast, even though they're on the bottom. Clap your hands and give him praise. I think that story is so awesome. When God chooses a people, he is not looking for people that are riding in chariots. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number seven. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen. Everybody said chosen. Everybody said chosen. I started out this today to talk to you how people choose and how people articulate their preferences and their biases. Well, God has preferences too, and God has biases too, and God has a basis whereby he makes his choices. And look at this, what it says in Deuteronomy chapter number 7. God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Go to the next verse. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. I'm not looking for Egypt and the downtown Egypt, and I'm not looking for the glorious walls of Babylon, and I'm not, I'm not looking for the aristocracy of, of, of the other nations of the world. I'm looking for the fewest among the people. I'm going to take the worst case scenario. I'm going to take the smallest, most insignificant group of people in the earth, and I'm going to use them. I'm going to exalt them. I'm going to bring a savior through them and I will change eternity with them. Clap your hands and give God. I'm trying to get across to somebody. You're thinking you ain't good enough and you're the one God's looking for. Somebody give him praise right now. Somebody come out of your comfort zone and give him glory right now. Well, pastor, I messed up. That's what the blood's for. Pastor, I can't do it. That's what the word's for. Pastor, I ain't got no strength. That's what the Holy Ghost is for. But pride and arrogance. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Next verse. According as he has chosen. God makes some choices too. 
God doesn't choose like people do. God doesn't choose the way that people make their choices. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us. That is not talking about the doctrine of predestination. This is referring to the church. This is referring that the church was predestinated. God says, I'm going to have a church. I just wonder who's going to make up their mind to be in that church. You don't have to talk me into it. You don't have to try to sell me on this. I've already tasted the Lord and found out that he's good. God chose the king, God chose the people, and now God chooses an individual. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. I feel like we're reading right, right from 1 Samuel 16. But God has... God made some choices. God made some choices. You know, one of the things that continues to absolutely blow me away is that God wanted me. Now, see, the difference is, is I know that God wanted me. And see, if you ever discover that you're exactly what God wants. See, that's, that's, that's part of the struggle that we have in this end time church is because you have people that are still, they're still dealing with getting their, the definition of who they are from the world. And we're, we're looking for some reflection from the world to see how I measure against that. And that's why our value system has got to be tied to the world. You've got to understand that, that God wants you, regardless, he'd tell the world, you sit down and shut up. You ain't got nothing to do with it. This is the one I want right here. This is the one I want right here. I want the one that's over in rehab. I want the one that's in AA. I want the one that's dealing drugs. I want the one that's, that's dealing with sexual uh, disorientation. I want the one that's already getting treatment so that they can turn themselves into the opposite sect. God is looking for somebody that's just honest enough to say, God, I'll take it. I'll take this. I want what you're given. I want that power. I want that glory. I want God. Clap your hands and give God the praise. When God chooses a king, he'll look in the back 40. When God chooses a people, he'll take the most microscopic group of people in the earth. When God looks for an individual. Well, pastor, we knocked a bunch of doors. Come walk with me here, Brother Quincy. Pastor, we handed out a bunch of flyers up on the hill, up in the million-dollar homes. Great. Let's go down to Sprague and go under the bridge. Well, your church, they just all wear suits. Honey, you should have seen me before I got in a suit. You'd be thanking God for this suit. You should have seen what I used to wear when I was running around in the world. But see, God doesn't look on the outward like the world does. God saw something in Rick Mayo over 40 years ago. And God saw something in you all those years ago. And he said, I wonder if I can find somebody that will choose me. I'm looking for somebody that'll choose truth, that'll choose the blood, that'll choose my word. Clap your hands and give God all the praise and all the glory. God has chosen. He's got a bias. I'm reading you the perimeters of God's preferences and bias right here. God has chosen foolish, 
my mom and dad, we were the ones when they turned around, ladies and gentlemen, they didn't pull over and say, we're going to take care of this. They took, it, they took care of that while the car was moving at 60 miles an hour. Hey, you, poof. God was there. God seen that. All those years of me thinking I didn't even know if my mom and dad loved me. God saw that. All those years where I was destroying my mind, my soul, and my body, God saw that. But God said, I'm going to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wine. God says, I'm going to look for a church that still believes in water baptism and still believes that a dance is in order when God moves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confound the flowing robes of the Vatican. And I'm going to confound the flowing thousands of the, of the big buildings in your city. And I'm going to bring up a group of people, not because they were the most intelligent, not because of their degrees, not because of their background, because they chose me. And it'll plug them into power and glory from another world. Let's give God the praise right now. If I was sitting here today and you're thinking, I, I, I'm trying to fit into the world and I'm, I'm caught between, listen, ditch the world and take Jesus. Ditch what your friends think and get a hold of Jesus. Ditch what everybody thinks and get a hold of Jesus because God is in you. That's good preaching. I know you think that, but I'm out of breath right now. But this, this, this kind of preaching turns me on. It's like that old, you know, that wheel, brother Reggie. These are men that understand tools. You know that grinder that's got the steel brush on it? And you turn it on and you take real hard to do jobs there. God's got a hard job to do in this world. And he's not looking for some soft, soft. Well, I, I, I never really had a dad. I never really had any masculine teaching in my life. You get in the church of the living God, there's men here that will take you under their wing, and you'll learn the characteristics of what it says in the Word of God, and you'll be your own man, and you'll have your own family, and you'll have your own blessings, and you'll have your own integrity, and you'll have your own anointing, and you'll have your power with God. When the weather gets warm, you know, you really are a special group of people. It's freezing outside. The good thing about this weather is it kills all the bugs. I think there's a bunch of bugs in my house. I don't even know what they are. They just kind of fly around and... They act like I'm going to get, I, I don't really do too much, so they act like they're going to get my food, and then it's like, all right, we got, a, we got a problem now. Honey, would you get these bugs? Yeah, I'll get to it. But when that dude tries to land on my, on my food, there's going to be war. This, this kind of weather will kill all those bugs. All these flus and all this COVID stuff and everything else that Anthony Fauci said is in our world, this kind of weather will kill that stuff. But I'm going to tell you, when it warms up, we're going to start taking vans. We're going to go down to Brown's Edition. We're, we're going to go to downtown Spokane. I love the people in Liberty Lake, but God has chosen some things. And those, those are the, I wouldn't be here today if it was for people that had a college education. I wouldn't be here for today if it was people that could match a sentence together. I wouldn't be here today, but God reached down there and he said, that's one I want, that's one I want, that's one I want, that's one I want, that's one I want. I made a choice, I made a choice, I made a choice, I made a choice. Now it's your job. I I choose him. I choose his way. I choose his word. Yes. 
Somebody stand to your feet and clap your hands and give God the praise. I'm going to choose the spirit. I'm not choosing the world. I'm not going to the bar. I'm not choosing the opinions of men. I'm going to choose God. Just remain standing. God's made some choices. The angels don't talk back. I got a feeling that Lucifer became Lucifer because he didn't like God's choices. You know, you can start finding out who the troublemakers in a church are when the pastor starts making choices. I can't hear you. Surely there's no troublemakers here. I'm just having fun. Oh, we've had a few, we've had a few, but I love them. Just just pray through and make some choices. Make some godly choices. Well, I'm somebody. That is so dangerous. Well, I'm somebody now. You take away that grace. You take away that mercy. You take away that blood. You take away that power. Paul said, if it wasn't for this, I'd be right back out there. I'd be right running around out there in a pig's pen. You know what? I know where God found me. God, you ain't got to worry about me getting a bad attitude because I love you. I appreciate you. I owe you everything. Clap your hands and give him praise. God's made a choice here today, and he chose you. John chapter 15, while you remain standing, I'm done. Look at this, the words of Jesus, 15 and 16. If you were of this world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of, go back to verse 15. Man, that's one of those guys that says, not Massachusetts, or Idaho. Verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 16. I'm sorry, brother. A guy like Malachi is just going to have a great spirit. How many guys have a biblical name? Okay, look at this. You have not chosen me yet. God is okay with that. But ladies and gentlemen, we're running out of time. It's time to start making some choices. We're at the end of this thing. If you ever, if you ever said to yourself, you know what, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get rid of, I'm gonna address my porn addiction. It's time to do it. You know, I just can't seem to shut off this big screen television. It's time to do it. You know, I just can't get rid of my friends that are running away from the church. It's time to do it. It's time to make some choices. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And there are some people, it's not the focus of my message, but there are some people that God will chase them. God is trying to hunt them down all the way to the rapture. Because God said, that's, that's, I want that one, I want this one, I want that one, I want this one, I want that one. Why me? Why did God want me? I've got siblings, I've got parents. My dad turned 96 Thursday. He said, I bet you're loving that cold weather, aren't you? 96 years old, he can still dish it out like that. We are trying to get him to come up to our 30th anniversary, my 96-year-old dad and then turn the glory loose. Why did, I've got, I've got all these siblings. Some of them have got more on the ball than I do or I did before I came to God. Extended family in both directions. Why me? Because he saw something. And he said, if I can get that one, just like I did with the king, just like I did with the nation, just like I did with the church, 
I can use him. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. I can use him to reach those that are in a valley of decision. Those that have still not connected the dots. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on backsliders. My God, a thousand times, no, don't give up on people. You know what? If you're ready to choose, I want you to come to this altar today. God is in this house today. I want you to come. No matter where you're sitting in this place, I want you to say, you know what? I'm coming to that altar today. I want to show God and all of his holy angels that I'm choosing you today because you chose me. In fact, when you get up here, why don't you pray for one another? Pray with somebody. Put your arm around somebody, brother to brother and sister to sister, and let's pray for one another in the name of Jesus. God, I'm going to make some hard choices today, but you've already made that choice to choose me. You don't have to convince me. You don't have to wait on me. I'm going to do it today. I'm making that choice today. chance to get the renewing of the Holy Ghost. If you ever received the Holy Ghost today, today's your day. God, I want everything you've got for me. You chose me. You chose me to be a part of this.